Hi, I'm John Anarino, author, photographer, and adventurer. My new book is America's Outback, and you're listening to the great program, The Soul of Life. Stay tuned. We're the only American Trappist Brewery. We only advertised that week, two nights in the Worcester Telegram, the local newspaper. Saturday afternoon, 2,500 people showed up at the brewery. Today on The Soul of Life, I speak with Father Isaac Keeley, Trappist monk and brewmaster of the St. Joseph's Abbey in the central Massachusetts town of Spencer. And, and who are these people that live this way for a lifetime? And do you really live it for a lifetime? <laughs> Since the 1950s, the Trappist monks of Spencer have lived a life of solitude and prayer on a 2,000-acre farm with a modest business selling jams, preserves, and handmade ceremonial garments. But 10 years ago, the brothers of Spencer started researching ways to raise their income significantly. We looked at electrical generation using a wind turbine, but our best site is on the approach to the Worcester Airport. So the FAA ruled that out. So the monks wondered how else could they raise income as they faced dwindling numbers in their commune. And then there was a brother who wanted to brew beer here since he had entered. And we knew that there were six Trappist breweries in Belgium, one of whom has been doing it since about the 1580s. So we said, you know, they've been doing it that long. There must be some compatibility between the rhythms of monastic life and brewing. I asked Father Isaac how they fit in the demands of running an industrial-scale brewery with the contemplative life of the monastery. Our prayer together starts at 3.30 in the morning. So I had to be pretty disciplined about my time and my schedule. Um, and also kind of disciplined with my mind. And of course, we talk about the beer. For the first five years of brewing, St. Joseph's was locked into an agreement with their partners at Scormont Abbey, home of Chime Brewery in Belgium. So for the first five years, all they could brew was one beer, their ale, which was okay. The brand is the monastery. This kept their brand rather obscure during the first wave of the exploding craft beer market when they started selling in 2013. At that time, they wanted good beer, but they wanted new beers. But now the brewery has a much expanded menu. And I asked Father Isaac how cloistered monks would really know what good beer is anyway. We were kind of indifferent to beer until we started this project and then it became having to learn well, what makes Trappist beer so special and what makes good beer good anyway? I try to find out what secrets the monks have to offer us about keeping a work-life balance. What I've learned is to survive really doing this longer term, I really have to be pretty disciplined about when I think about various things. Welcome to The Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. And this is episode 15 of season three, Beer with Soul the brewmaster of St. Joseph's Abbey. The critics say it's delicious. We don't know how to categorize it. That suits us perfectly. <laughs> I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is the soul of life. 
Have you ever been in a position where you know that you or your family member really needs emotional support or marriage enrichment, but you find out how expensive it is to get access to high-quality, out-of-network professionals? Well, I've created the Soul of Life community just for this. At community.souloflifeshow.com, you can join for free and be part of a network of caring and supportive people having conversations that can bring healing to your soul. It's there that you'll find access to psychoeducational courses to deal with stress, anxiety, and relationship conflict. For example, right now I'm offering a seven-week immersive course for couples called Mindful Marriage that walks people through a mindfulness-based stress reduction curriculum I designed that really gives couples in conflict a map towards stability, trust, and deeper intimacy. Just go to community.souloflifeshow.com, check out the courses, and join for free to be part of the Soul of Life community of learners and soul seekers. Just north of the town of Spencer, Massachusetts, the town where I grew up, at the crest of a gently sloping hill blanketed in oak, maple, and pine, but bared in part by farmed meadows and broad pasture lands, rests St. Joseph's Abbey, a cloistered Roman Catholic monastery of monks of the Cistercian Order of the Strict Observance, popularly known as Trappists. Set apart from the actions and trends of most of their neighbors, they live a contemplative life, dedicating themselves to the praise and worship of God in a hidden life within their monastery. Following St. Benedict's 6th century rule for monasteries, the monks live in silence and solitude, thus rendering God, quote, a service that is at once humble and noble. But if you could view the Spencer Monastery from an eagle's eye, you'd see a very busy place. The brothers of Spencer have been known for decades to make delicious preserves and jams that they sell to generate income. But within the last 10 years, more than just strawberry jam has been brewing in these cloistered hills. St. Joseph's began operations as the only monastery in the U.S. to produce beer. I'm here today to speak with the brewmaster of St. Joseph's, Father Isaac Keeley. Father Keeley, welcome to The Soul of Life. How are you? Okay, Keith, thank you. Thank you. Delighted to be with you this afternoon. It's nice to meet you again. You were nice enough to give me and my dad a tour since he lives in town uh, a couple of months ago. It seems like it was just yesterday, but we we got to see the operations there. And, and I'm curious if you can explain what, what you do and what your work is at the Abbey. We talk about two kinds of work, you know, at the Abbey. There's, we say, the work of God and then our manual labor. So uh, for the work of God is really our, our prayer. So, um, so, you know, I've been at the monastery for 40 years. We're a kind of stable community. Um, we're about, we are now, we're back up to, I, I think, 50 monks again. Um, and so it's a, it's a life of prayer together um, and in what we call liturgy and then prayer separately where we do pri- private individual prayer and then reading and study. And then to support ourselves, we do manual labor, um, and we follow this, what we call the rule of St. Benedict, which is a sixth century interpretation of trying to live the gospel 24-7. And so my manual labor, uh, really for the last 10 years, was to research and build and start up and uh, get this brewery going. That's a... A lot of work on top of a lot of work. I mean, it sounds like, and, and just to rewind for a second, you, you said prayer, but um, can you explain how often you pray? It's, uh, it's it's quite a lot. Yeah, okay, okay. So, 
Yes. So our tradition, so we go back to the, um, to the, uh, 11th century. And so our tradition is to, uh, we say the night is for prayer and the day is for work. Um, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. So our prayer together starts at 3.30 in the morning. So typically our rise wow. is around 3 or 3.10. Um, and we have a um, service where we um, basically chant or recite psalmody and do scripture readings. Um, and then also usually one non-scripture reading from the patristic area, era. So from, uh, you know, somewhere between the second and the fifth centuries. Um, that's about 45 minutes. Then it's, um, gets us to about 4.15, and then there's time for individual prayer and meditation. Um, and, uh, and that period runs until on weekdays until six o'clock. So six o'clock roughly corresponds to sunrise. And so there are two major, called major hours. Uh, so major prayer events uh, daily. So one for sunrise and one that correlates with sundown. Sunrise we call lords. And again, it's Psalms. A hymn, it's psalms, a reading, and then that's followed by Eucharist. Um, we do that on a daily basis in the Eucharist. So that unit ends by around 7 or 7.10. There's another open period of time. And then work for most of us starts uh, usually around 8 or 8.30. Um, and then there'll be a morning work period interrupted midway for a brief prayer together one psalm, short reading and and prayer. Follow, then the work period usually ends around noon uh, with, and we meet again in the church for prayer for, again, usually one psalm and a short reading. Um, and then that's followed by midday dinner uh, and clean up a break. And then we pray again at two o'clock when we, before we go back to work. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so there's these seven little units. Wow, I mean, and and in between all of that, there's there's work to be done, and <laughs> it sounds like that's a lot to take it's on. A, it's, a, it, it's a full day. It's a full day. It's a full day <laughs> spiritually. So, where do you find the time to manage such a complex operation like a brewery? So, I have to be pretty disciplined about my time and my schedule, um, and also kind of disciplined with my mind. Um, and, and, you know, it's, that's a skill I think that is, um, that I've learned, I think, over the years. Plus, I would say, you know, there's a grace to it. In other words, there's a, there's an action of God through the Holy Spirit, which gradually shapes you so that you can do something like this. So, um, so really, so my, my, my workday starts pretty much by eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and so I would be in the brewery really eight from eight until noon. And then I go over to the monastery, uh, for that midday prayer and dinner. Um, I, I have an exemption from the two o'clock prayer. So after dinner and dishes and I take, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes quietly in my, my room, we call them a cell. Um, I would deal with, uh, the, the two o'clock prayer then. And then I come back to the brewery usually by one thirty. Um, and I would be here until five ordinarily, a busy day. Busy day. Would, a busy day would make it closer to five thirty. But <laughs> I, 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 now, now at this stage of my life, I'm pretty good at getting out at five and back to the monastery. So, well, the commute is pretty good. 
the commute is like a five minute walk, you know, so <laughs> that's ideal. Um, so yeah, so that works pretty well for me. But um, in, in, in my in my younger years, when we started up the project, um, and I didn't have these rhythms down, it was much harder to to contain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, to really clear my mind when I'd leave in the evening, right. or not start my sort of business thinking until I got here. But mm. what I've learned is like to to survive really doing this long longer term, that um I I, I really have to be uh pretty disciplined about when I think about various things. Mm. Um mm-hmm. and, and it's not always as 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 we all know, um, um that's a skill that really has to be learned. And and uh, I, for one, would not consider myself uh, 100% successful 24-7. But, yeah. but these days, if I, I, what I find is if I keep the morning period, like from the time I get up um, until I get over to the brewery, if I really do keep that for, for God, um, that grounds me so that I can do the rest of the day uh, without losing, I think, or ordi- ordinarily without losing uh, um, a certain, we could say a certain mindfulness of of uh, of God and and why I, I'm doing it, why the mm-hmm. other brothers are doing it, which right. has a lot to do with um, kind of the quality of presence that one brings to the everyday activities of earning a living mm. uh, in this way. Mm. In other words, uh, you find it easier if you're in one place at one time. If you're with God, that you're 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 not doing calculations of grain and shipping dates, and <laughs> and you and when you're in the brewery, perhaps you're focused on the work and you, you allow yourself to get absorbed with that. Well, you know, I do. Um, although I what I would what I would like to try to express at, for this point in my life is that. Um, But being, say I'm a hunt, like this morning, you know, I, I had to get really focused on, um, um, an invitation to brew some beer for, um, a Scandinavian country. And, mm. um, so I had to really zero in on, on like the pricing and margins and costing and can we do it for the price that they would like it for, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, over the years, what I, what's, kind of a gift i would say is that i'd say i i i stay uh an easy easy way to say this might be i stay grounded in um a really abiding sense of peace even while i'm doing mentally these these other calculations and things um so i bring so doing things that once were more were stressful really um, now I can do it in peace. Um, yeah. and, and that sense, um, I, I feel that there's, uh, a kind of grounding in God's presence that, uh, ordinarily can persist even in the brewery. Hmm. That, that sounds like something a lot of people listening to this would, would not mind having a little more of grounding and, and more peaceful presence of God. Um, tell me about how the brewery operation got started. Of course, um, 
work and production and, and, and generating income is not new to your order and to, to your monastery, but, but brewery, brewing is a new thing relatively 10 years Hmm. about, right? So how, how is, how did this all get started? Oh, okay. So around the year 2000, um, our abbot thought he should get some help about looking at, um, you know, sustainability in the, in the long term. And, uh, so he, he put together an advisory board of business people and professional people and academic people, um, to kind of take a, take a look at, at the monastery and its demographics and our, our little monastery economy and to say, hmm, what, what does it look like kind of long term? Cause we, we, we like to think of monastic communities as, you know, having, kind of long, long run. So like, for example, ourselves, we began in Nova Scotia uh, in, we take as our founding date, 1825. So we're, we're coming up on 190 some years. So we're saying, well, we got that many behind us. At that point, it would have been like 170 some years. So we say, well, what could, um, what do we need to do? And so the, the upshot really was, that um, we should expect our numbers to decrease. Uh, and they, at that time, we probably were about 65, so they have. Um, and we tracked, or they tracked for us kind of longer term, uh, the rate of rise of generated income and expenses. And then they factored in, we would, um, we would be aging and maybe not recruiting as rapidly. Hmm. So what do those two lines when you forecast them out? And so we could see, you know, that the expenses are going to rise more rapidly than the revenue. Mm-hmm. And so they said, you need another source of revenue. So that began, <laughs> that began a 10 year, uh, research, 10 years of research of various projects. So necessity was the mother of invention. Oh yeah, yeah. We wouldn't. Have, we wouldn't. I mean, everybody. Everybody was pretty comfortable making jams and jellies, and we have a little farming operation, and some brothers do crafts, and we have a little store um, for our products and other monastic products. So we'd be happy not to change, but we could say we had to. So we looked at many. We looked at doing more of what we're already doing, you know, the jams and jellies, or we make vestments for liturgical, you know, vesture clothing for liturgical ceremonies. Um, but for various, you know, business reasons, we said, you know, those, we're not likely to be able to grow those endeavors. Right. We looked at, um, we looked at uh, electrical generation using a wind turbine, but our best, our best site is on the approach to the Worcester Airport. So the oh. F, so the FAA ruled that out. Um, and then there was a brother who wanted to brew beer here since he had entered. Um, and we knew that there were six Trappist breweries in Belgium, some of whom have been doing it, one of whom has been doing it since about the 1580s. So we said, you know, they've been doing it that long. There must be some compatibility between the rhythms of monastic life and brewing. 
Please take the time now to subscribe to The Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. Part of our dialogue really with uh, the six Belgian Trappist breweries and monastic communities, really, it started with them. Um, so we visited them, we talked to them, and uh, and we were looking for a partner. Um, more, more basically, we were looking for them to get on board with Americans brewing Trappist beer with a Trappist name. So that took some doing. So almost two years of conversations. But at the end, um, two, two of the larger breweries were interested in being of assistance. And then finally, it got down to one Chimay Brewery at Scormont Abbey because they had the largest footprint in the American market of any of the Trappists. So they, on the one hand, they wanted to help, but they also saw it as they helped us with quality um, from the technical side, then that would also protect their brand. So um, so what we did was um, we had a couple of brothers go to Belgium and spend six to eight months um, at Scormont Abbey to uh, to to work in their brewery, um, and we also um, engaged a Belgian brew engineer, so someone with an engineering degree and a brew science degree on top mm-hmm. of that, um, to kind of supervise the training there, as well as to advise. By that point, um, I was really in charge of the project, and to advise me on the um, the brewery design and then the build-out um, because, right, so there's a lot of technical things to that. So there were a lot mm-hmm. of mistakes that could have been made that, that weren't made just because the um, the head brewer at Chimay as well, as, and he helped me find this other Belgian to work with us. So um, with that, yeah, so that was why why we went with trap partly why we went with trappist brewery and not just american craft brewery in the trappist monastery was that we thought it would by working with the belgians we would significantly de-risk the project Hmm. so certainly from the technical side that was absolutely true so um and uh so it so we we talked about it from like (laughs) <laughs> you know, starting in 2000 until 2010, wow. 2011, we took a vote. Um, by 2012, we started the construction and we moved in at the very in the fourth quarter of 2013 and did our first brew in the brew house. So we've been brewing down in our old dairy barn. Um, we did our first brew in the brew house. It, uh, actually, it was October 26th of 2013. That's a day I, I probably won't forget <laughs> in this lifetime. Um, and then we went onto the market in January of 2014. Um, and naively, really, um, the Belgians had asked us to brew one beer only for five years, that first beer, to be sure we really had it 
had it down. Mm. <laughs> um, but we were to learn, you know, the American market didn't really work on that basis. Sort of so demands a, innovation and, 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 and in testing things, right? Yeah, they want, they want, you know, the question is, they, they want good beer at that time. They wanted good beer, but they wanted new beers. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's another whole story, but, um, but getting operational wasn't, wasn't as difficult as, as it could have been. Um, what has been difficult is actually growing the brand uh, in the American market as the American market started its real, its real evolution in, in about January 2014. So Around the same time, you saw these microbreweries exploding. Yes. And, and, the, and the IPA becoming American, America's favorite craft beer. Mm. Um, and that's what, yeah, so that had, that had huge impact on our story uh, because as, as rightly so, as, you know, local, speaking nationally, local brewers, you know, coming of age, as it were, uh, with this style that was so popular and unleashed an enormous period of enormous creativity for a significant period of years. Um, on the one hand, it was, it was magnificent to be part of that. We wouldn't have been brewing beer if the craft beer movement hadn't been as strong as it had been. But, but that was when it came of age. And so Belgian beers and Trappist beers as setting a quality standard were were moved to the side. So then that created the growth of the brand became um, a whole new challenge that the planning hadn't foreseen. Ah, wow. And and how long did it take you to get up to speed with and we get to talk about lifestyle and type of type of things that that the average person may not realize about cloistered living perhaps in a monastery. But I'm guessing that before the brewery there you didn't have beer. Or there wasn't the opportunity for for people to have maybe um, a, a, a taste for for what the, what is good beer. I mean, or is or is that a naive question? No, no, it's it's not naive actually. So before the brewery, we would have consumed alcohol maybe ten times a year. Uh-huh. Um, and it would be on major feast days and holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be. And predominantly, we would have, if you were to say, what do you drink? We would have said wine. Mm -hmm. And it would have been wine with the main meal on those feast days or holidays. On some major holidays, our friends over at Wachusett Brewery, um, the father of of the founder was a long-term friend of our monastery would come on retreat either for a weekend or for a week. And so he made a point for these big national holidays to bring over a case of Wachusett beer. Hmm. Um, and, we, and we did have another friend who was tied to uh, a major Boston beer distributor. And he would bring over a case of something else. Um, but most of us would have said, oh, we don't like beer. Mm-hmm. We'd think of beer as Miller Coors and Bud. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what use it was nice, but craft beer wasn't really our main interest by any means. So yeah. 
we were kind of indifferent to beer until we started this project. And then it became having to learn, well, what makes Trappist beer so special and what makes good beer good anyway? Mm -hmm. And it was a whole journey for a little more. And then we for a little more intense for me and, and a few others working closely with me. Um, but before we actually chose to do the project, um, we did have somebody come in and introduce us to beer and particularly Trappist beer, but other, other higher end beers just to kind of mm -hmm. say, this is the world you're moving into. Mm -hmm. um, An education, right? Like, just like anything else, you need to know what, what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah. So we had a little bit of that, but it really, it really started once we were, we, we, we launched. Are you finding the brand has a place? I mean, not just perhaps in Spencer in, at the downtown package store, but um, <laughs> nationally or, you know, where you would like to see it go? Okay. So actually, so yes. Um, so what we realize is that we are, a, we, a niche player. So it's a niche brand and it's kind of doubly so because we're the only American Trappist brewery mm. and looking at, um, you know, the other monasteries, it's kind of unlikely there's going to be anybody else is going to be competing in the, in the short term. That's for sure. Um, and, and we, we, People see us as kind of a craft brewery, uh, but the brand really has another whole set of legs to it. So to really, to grow it uh, so that it could really um, be the principal means of support for the monastery and the charitable outreach, um, we're basically going to have to become a, a national brand. So um, we have found a partner who had experience selling European Trappist beers in the U.S. Hmm. He's been really helpful um, in starting to grow the footprint. So right now, I, I guess we'd be in about 16 different states. Okay. So, um, so and and we're, we're see, beginning to see the fruits of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he tells this story, and cut me off if it's too tangential, but he says, you know, everybody thinks the newborn baby you know, parents think they're all beautiful. And he said, you know, I, I and he had some children. He said, you know, I, and I'm the same way. He said, but, you know, in reality, you know, newborns, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're really fresh, you know, they're, they've been pretty compressed for quite a while. <laughs> he said, so most newborn babies, I won't say who said this. He said, yeah. he said, but it's true. He said it was, he said it was even true of his own. He said, they're really not pretty. In fact, you could almost say they're kind of ugly, but yeah. they're yours and you're so delighted with them. Yeah. He said, well, you know, everybody with a new brand, they think it's the most beautiful thing in the world <laughs> yes. and everybody has to have it. He said, but you know, he says, it's like the baby. It's going to take a few years to iron out the wrinkles <laughs> <laughs> and to get, you know, the, the, the fan club going. Yeah. So, um, speaking of, the fan club. Do you, do you find that people of of uh, of faith uh, from other faith communities find a particular interest in the monastery, or or people maybe from the secular world um, finding more out about your your 
monastic and mindful life of prayer. Does that, do you find there to be some, some opportunity here for conversation about your faith? So, so yes. In fact, I, I would, my, my short term answer to that question is in a real sense, the brand is the monastery. Mm. Um, I mean, we didn't go into it knowing that, but mm. the way we discovered it was we had some, some beer that I must have overproduced. And I said, <clears throat> I have to, um, I'm not going to be able to move it through distribution. So maybe I could just have a Saturday afternoon open house. And <clears throat> I'll say I had two beers at that point. I had this IPA and I had the Spencer Trappist ale. And I said, um, uh, well, I'll give them a brewery tour. I'll sample them on the beers and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll buy them and that'll take, I'll, I'll get rid of my inventory. So, um, we did that. We only advertised that week, two nights in the Worcester Telegram, the local newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Saturday afternoon, 2,500 people showed up at the brewery. <laughs> I said, I couldn't, I couldn't get, I, I couldn't figure it out. And, uh, we had greeters and we had, and it was a self tour, but we had people answering questions and then the tasting where you could buy it. And then the exit, I had greeters at the exit saying goodbye and thank you. And, um, and <clears throat> they, they came at the end of the day when we kind of did the breakdown, the brothers who were doing the goodbyes said, you know, everybody thanked us so profusely. And and we didn't know what they were thanking us for. <laughs> and so, you know, because why would somebody thank you for selling them beer? You know, that mm. didn't make sense. Mm. They were getting more than beer. They were getting more than beer. And and so when we did the op- we did an open house the next year. We did it on a Saturday. We did it 10 to 4. And we had the same experience. But what we realized from interacting with people for six hours was that, no, you know, just coming to the monastery um, and this, you know, we have a really nice piece of property that doesn't even really do it justice. What is it, a thousand um, acres or how many acres do you have? Yeah, it's 2,000 acres, yeah, you know. Beautiful. And, and, you know, like, 400 are, you know, in agriculture. So these huge fields um, and um, people just had this, this really wonderful experience of this place. Mm. Um, mm. And so we, we, we began to learn that beer was kind of the excuse to cover, to come to this religious place um, and kind of soak in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of a whole story starts from that. It's a good, Um, it's a good way to put it to soak in the atmosphere as they're, as they're drinking a beer. It's an appropriate phrase. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're drinking beers and, and they want to, what we've learned is they want to have access to, to live monks. It might be as simple as hello, my name is. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. most of it's pretty simple. Um, you're, you're, you're actually doing monastic tourism of sorts, I suppose. I, I, I suppose you could, you could call it that, you know, people um, want to know what it's really like, what it's all about. And, you know, they do. And, and they, they, 
Yeah, and, and they and they want to know what we're about, and, yeah. and who are these people that live this way for a lifetime? And do yeah. you really live it for a lifetime? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we should really also talk about your um, what actually what beer you you have. And when I visited, you were kind enough to to give me a gift, and I I was worried about it on on the airplane. You said, "Don't worry, you've done this many times <laughs> from from Belgium," and you said the beer would survive, and it did. And you mentioned you. So I'm holding up for people who can't see who are just listening, but this is the Trappist, um, the 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 Spencer. Uh, label that you have, and, and this is the the standard. This is the one you you said you were locked into brewing for five years. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's the flagship. It's the, the flagship. Yeah. And then you get the premium pilsner. Um, yeah, that's the, the whole other direction. Totally different direction. What I really enjoyed was this uh, fruit series, this peach saison. And, oh, um, really enjoyed that. And you know, the the alcohol volume goes up from there. What are some of the other beers that you have? Just sort of down oh, the line. Oh, okay. So the so the year rounders. So it's a Spencer Trappist Ale and the Pilsner that you showed, and then the IPA is the year round Monk's IPA. It's really not, it's neither New England or West Coast. It's it's kind of ours. Um, the critics say it's delicious. We don't know how to categorize it. That suits us perfectly. <laughs> how do you categorize monks and monasteries? <laughs> so, um, and then the other year rounder is really kind of a big beer. Uh, it's called, um, we call it Spencer Monk's Reserve. Um, and popularly it's called a quad. So, um, it's 10.2% alcohol. Um, and, but it's all, it's brewed entirely from, from, um, from, from a variety of malts. We don't add any spices and it has a little, it's drier. Many American attempts at quads are, are pretty sweet. So, um, and Belgian quads have a certain sweetness to it, but we made ours dry just to kind of adapt to the American taste. Um, we, we bottled today the holiday ale, which is we release at Christmas time. So it's, um, it's again, it's hefty. It's a very, but it, it's a light body, but, um, high alcohol, 9% uh, beer that's lightly spiced. Uh, it's really festive. From Thanksgiving on, it's the perfect kind of thing for guests. Um, oh, and we're coming out with, uh, uh, and, and the next thing out will be the, uh, the winter warmer, which will be available like late October. So that's a lager. So that's, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's one of my favorites, actually, that and, and the peach. And I'm probably skipping a couple, but mm. there's so, enough out there. They can find them. Go to the website spencerbrewery.com and and click on the beer finder and you see the various beers and where you can can get them i always say call retail before you go to see if they have it in stock yeah. and, and keith I, and this is wonderful thank you, you. yeah no this. thank you father isaac i i appreciate your your kindness and giving us a tour when i came by my dad and i and uh you know, my grandmother lived just over the hill from you in, in the Wire Village, the Lower Wire Village. So, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we always knew the monks were up to something over there, and <laughs> turns out it's been something really, really good. Not just, of course, spiritually, but uh, with many flavors. Come to find out, you have a wide, we have a wide palate. So, I, I, I will enjoy this beer. I'm not going to let it sit around too long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The Trappist, you know, you have two to three years on the ah, life. Okay. But the okay. pills, you want to do, drink quicker. And the yeah. IPA. In the IPA. Yeah. Sure. Well, th well, thank you so much, Father Isaac Keeley, brewmaster of the St. Joseph's Abbey 
in Spencer, Massachusetts. Thanks for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Keith. Hey, I've started a community for Soul of Life fans interested in talking about episodes or getting more information about some of my teaching on IFS, mindfulness, and relationship growth. Head on over to community.souloflifeshow to get access to this group of really cool people just like you who care about the show and want to talk about episodes or or hear more, get access to courses, and, and support each other through life. That's what this is all about. Please leave an iTunes rating for the show. And subscribe now wherever you listen to get more soul in your life. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrop. All right, I will go.